This morning, we continue our series, Living the Gospel. Last week, we were in John 8, and and we looked at the woman caught in adultery. We saw how, though we may feel like failures and disappointments at times, that we may feel like trash at times, that we are not seen that way by God. He sees us as people made in his own image, and he loves us, cares for us. And when our sin demanded that stones be thrown at us, Jesus took those stones instead. As this series takes us through the book of John, today we'll be in John chapter 9, looking at verses 1 to 7. Now, it's possible that the text will ring some bells. Victor preached on it uh, back in the beginning of February in his Where's Our Miracle message. This isn't intended to be a repeat sermon, but there will be some similarities, and that's okay. Scriptural texts were never meant to be read or proclaimed only a single time, and there's quite a bit in this story of the healing of the blind man. That said, our text this morning is John 9. Again, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 7. If you have your Bibles with you, you are welcome to read along. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you forgot your Bible, and if you'd rather read along on the screens, the words will be up there as well. Follow along with me as we read the word of the Lord this morning. John 9, 1-7. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the day of grace. God, I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that you would speak through your word, Lord, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. In Melbourne, Australia, in 1982, a young man named Nick was born. Life was not normal for Nick. Due to a very rare condition, Nick was born without arms or legs. He had two small feet, one of which had two toes. The toes were fused together, but through an operation, they were separated so that he would have some means of grabbing on to things. When he was born, the nurse tried to hand him to his mother, but she refused to take him, traumatized by the way her son looked. She struggled to reconcile the baby she was being given and the child that she had expected to have. It didn't take her long, however, before she opened her heart and her arms to receive the little disfigured boy. Though his body had limitations, his brain worked very well. He was a very bright and enigmatic child. And his disability did not keep him from being enrolled in regular public school, and so off to school he went. As a society, we struggle with accepting those that are different than us. And that reality is incredibly apparent in school. Nick was bullied relentlessly. 
Add the hardships of school to the feelings of helplessness, isolation, and not understanding how he could have any hope of a bright future. A young 10-year-old Nick tried to commit suicide by drowning himself in the bathtub. His attempt was unsuccessful, but his questions remained. He used to pray to God that God would give him legs, that God would give him limbs. And if he didn't, that he would withhold praise. How could a God that would let this happen to a little boy, let a little boy go through all of this, be worthy of praise in the first place? He wondered. And as those questions swirled about in his head, behind them, behind them all was the big question, why? Why did this happen to me? Why am I going through all of this? Why does life have to be so hard? Why? Looking around the sanctuary this morning, it doesn't look like any of us have the exact same struggles as young Nick. We all have our arms and legs. But just because we don't have, or just because we have the use of our limbs, doesn't mean that we don't share in his questions. Why? Why is life so difficult? Why couldn't I be more outgoing? Why couldn't I have thicker skin? Why was I given the life circumstances that have been thrust upon me? Why did you bless that person in that way and, and not me? Why is my job so hard? Couldn't you have brought me other opportunities? Why didn't I get assigned this teacher? I would have rather had that teacher. Why can't my friends be in my class? Why are my friends so mean sometimes? Would it have been too much to ask to make me born into money with good looks and a metabolism that didn't forget how to do its job once I turned 30? Like Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof, we looked to the heavens and asked, would it have spoiled some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? Why, God? Why do these hard, uncomfortable, difficult, and downright demoralizing things happen? Why was Nick born without limbs? Why am I struggling like this sometimes? Whose fault is it? Am I to blame? Are my parents to blame? Is God to blame? These are some of the questions, or these are the same questions the disciples asked in our text this morning. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Whose fault is it? We live in a world of actions and consequences. Good actions receive good consequences. Sorry. Yeah, good actions receive good consequences, and bad actions receive bad consequences. At least that's how it's supposed to work, right? You, you work, you get paid. You disobey, you get punished. These are the laws that we're used to, that we've grown up with. This is what seems fair to us, that we may not always agree that the consequences that we receive are fair. And in a world as broken and sinful as this one, some receive greater consequences than others, even though they committed the same crime. It doesn't make sense. Even in actions and consequences, not everything is fair, though arguably, if the system in place were functioning properly, it, it should be. We want it to be. So when something goes wrong, when a bad thing happens, we look for the reason why. To the eyes of the disciples, the man's blindness from birth must have been the result of somebody's sin. The parents, the, the child in utero, somebody must have done something that caused this man to be born with this unfortunate consequence. 
And while in one level that makes sense to us, Jesus refutes it in our text. He responds to the disciples saying, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now that's a pretty loaded answer, and we need to break it down a bit. Jesus is not saying that this man and his parents were perfect, right? They were sinners, just like the rest of us. But what Jesus means is that the man's condition is not a result of the individual sins of the man or his parents. And this brings up a pretty important point. The Bible allows for a general relationship between suffering and sin. This is due to the fall. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden that they knew they were not supposed to eat, thus bringing the brokenness of sin into the world. We see this general relationship between suffering and sin acknowledged in quite a few places in Scripture, including Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 12. And while the Bible allows for this general relationship, again, between suffering and sin, it refuses to permit this principle to be individualized in every case. Sin has produced suffering in the world. But an individual's personal suffering is not always the result of his or her personal sin. And that part of Jesus' response can bring us some peace. God isn't sitting up in heaven slapping penalties on us for every misstep, for every time we fall short. I didn't stub my toe on that uneven piece of pavement because I couldn't resist sharing that particularly juicy piece of gossip earlier. I stubbed my toe because I'm not perfect, and the sidewalk isn't perfect, and I didn't see it coming. My peripheral vision didn't pick it up, and now I'm suffering a painful appendage because the world is broken and sin brings suffering in its brokenness. There's a measure of comfort in this response because it doesn't turn God against us, which is what can make the second half of Jesus' response more difficult. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now hold up. Does this mean that God intentionally made this man to be born blind? That God had him go through a life of difficulty, endure all the begging and hardship that the lack of sight afflicts upon a person, especially during this time in history? Is Jesus saying that God made the man endure all of that so that God could use the man's circumstances to display God's power? That is suddenly a lot less comforting. That can certainly make it appear that God, though he may not be against us, isn't doing all that he can to help us either. Viewed in this way, God becomes not much better than an ambulance chaser, showing up at the scenes of disasters that he might bring healing to show his power. We might find it fair to ask, why not display your power to prevent the disaster in the first place? And when he doesn't stop the disaster or bring the healing, what is he then, I'm about to bring in a pivot because there is something particularly special about this particular healing. There is a deeper meaning and deeper ramifications than what we see on the service. But before we get to the pivot, I'd like to address these questions of if God just callously uses our hardship for his glory. I can understand, especially in the eyes of someone going through a hardship, that this might be how we understand the second half of Jesus' response. But know this, it is not an accurate understanding. 
this text, Jesus' response is not intended to be a universal principle. In the same way that not all suffering is tied to personal sin, so not all suffering is present so that God might make an example of the healing. Our God is a personal God. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. He wants to have a deeply personal, intimate relationship with you. He does not rejoice in your suffering. He rejoices in your salvation. And that's where we see the pivot this morning. This is more going, there's more going on here with Jesus and his interaction with this blind man than meets the eye. All through the book of John, there is a contrast. The stage is set in the first few verses of the entire book, and we see it echoed throughout the rest of its chapters, the contrast between light and dark. And we see them present in this passage. Jesus brings it up as he continues his response to the disciples in verses 4 and 5. As long as it is day, Jesus says, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Day and night, blindness and sight, light and dark. When Jesus is talking about the blind man's condition, though he's referencing his physical condition, he's also addressing his spiritual condition. This, is, this man is blind, not just physically, but spiritually as well. So when Jesus says, this man is in this condition, that my glory might be shown through my actions, through my works here. He's not talking about the physical healing. He's talking about the spiritual healing. Notice how the blind man doesn't call out to Jesus for healing. It's the disciples who stop and ask questions that they might have a better picture of why bad things happen in the world around him. The blind man is just sitting there in his blindness, in his lostness. When you were blind from birth, you have no concept of light. You have no measuring stick for brightness. Everything is black. It always has been. The Bible tells us that each of us is born sinful, that because of the fall of Adam and Eve, sin has been passed down through the man, through our fathers, to every human. None of us have a shot at being perfect because we are, each and every one of us, born sinful, born into darkness without the concept of spiritual light. But God was not satisfied with this. He was not pleased with our fall. It hurt him deeply. He created us. He made us in his own image, not so that we would wander around in the darkness, blind to his love for us, but so that we would have a relationship with him and that he could have a relationship with us. So that we could have a relationship with the light. God wants all spiritually blind men and women to see. This is his heart's desire. This is his hope for each and every one of us, that we would not be spiritually blind any longer, that we would not be feeling around in the darkness, but that we would come to the light, that we would come into relationship with him. And since the blind have no means to seek out the light, light had to be given to them, and so God sent the light into the darkness. God sent Jesus into the world, and the light lived amongst the blind, giving sight that they might see the light. And embrace it. 
In past examples of healing, Jesus just spoke. Jesus told the invalid to get up and walk, and he did. He spoke. Jesus spoke, and things happened. But in this case, with the blind man, Jesus does a bit more. In this case, with the blind man, Jesus spits under the ground, making mud with his saliva, and taking the man by the face, smears mud on this man's eyes. Jesus physically gets involved in this man's healing just as he physically got involved in our spiritual healing. For though Jesus came into the world to save the world, not in the world, not all in the world accepted him. Some enjoyed their darkness and did not like what the light was exposing. And so they conspired to have him killed through betrayal and and a rigged trial. Jesus was convicted of crimes that he did not commit And though innocent, was sentenced to the worst of deaths. He was given a cross to carry up a hill. And as he marched up that hill, he carried not just these two massive pieces of lumber upon his shoulders, but the sins of the world. When he reached Golgotha, the place of the skull, he was nailed to the cross and lifted up, displayed for all to see. And as he hung there on the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus, the light of the world, the one that brought hope and peace, the one that ate with sinners, the one that healed the sick and cast out demons, the one who had done no wrong, the innocent one, the one who had never sinned, there on the cross became sin for us in our place. And there, on account of our sin, he died, taking the wrath of God for all that we have ever done and will ever do wrong. All of this so that God might have a relationship with us. But Jesus did not stay dead. For three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, when we, when we believe in him, the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is our hope. This is our peace. This is the truth that we can rest in. Jesus has reconciled the lost. He has given sight to the blind through his sacrifice. When we have faith in that, when we rest in it as our hope for salvation, then we are brought into the family of God. Through faith in Jesus, we are given sight. Through faith in Jesus, we are saved. This healing of the blind man is not just an example of the ability of Jesus to heal physical blindness, but a foretelling of how he has come to heal spiritual blindness. And while we rejoice in the result, the process isn't always the most enjoyable, is it? This man had mud smeared on his face, mud made from somebody's spit. That's that's more than a little gross. That would make us more than like a little uncomfortable. The road to healing is not always as clean and easy as we'd like it to be. Sometimes God brings us on on some brutal journeys as he affects change in our lives. And as he brings us from from darkness to, to light, he is continually shaping us. Whether we have started, like just started walking with him or have journeyed with him for as long as we can remember, we are all on the road from darkness to light and are all being formed to be more like Christ, that we all might be used in God's mission to bring about his kingdom. As I was pondering this reality this week, I was reminded of a C.S. Lewis quote. He writes, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing, like it makes sense to us. He's getting the drains right. 
Stopping the leaks in the roof, right? Repairing the window, fixing the cracks in the paint. He's doing the things that, like, you know, we make sense. We knew that that, those jobs needed doing, and so we're not surprised that he's doing that. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. And I would add that he intends to use the house he is building out of you to minister to and comfort others. He doesn't intend to just use us as a palace in which he will comfortably reside. We're more like a wartime hospital. Pain has taken place here. Hurt has happened here. And God being with us, strengthening us, healing us through those hardships helps us as we walk beside others who are enduring hardship. God is using each of us on his mission, a mission that is sometimes messy, Difficult, discouraging, and heartbreaking, but a mission that is eternally rewarding. God did not audibly tell Nick why he was born the way that he was. He also didn't cause Nick's limbs to regrow. He did, however, do some extensive work on Nick's heart. The young boy gradually adjusted to life without limbs. He writes with his mouth, or he puts a special grip onto the toes, the two toes on his left foot so that he can hold a writing utensil. He can type up to 45 words a minute, which would put some of us to shame. He can throw tennis balls, play drum pedals, get a glass of water, comb his hair, brush his teeth, answer the phone, and shave in addition to participating in golf, swimming, and even skydiving. As Nick came to terms with his disability, he decided to become vocal about living with disabilities and his relationship with the Lord. Nick is an outspoken Christian voice. He is an anti-bullying advocate who travels the globe speaking to millions of students. He is the founder and CEO of the nonprofit ministry Life Without Limbs. Nick is married and has four children. Millions have heard his message of hope and perseverance and have received faith through his proclamation of the gospel. I don't know where your journey will take you. I don't know what plans God has for you. I don't know why you are facing the hardships that you are facing. I don't know why there is so much darkness in the world today. What I do know is that we can only tolerate living in a dark world by believing in the light of the world. I don't know what hardship life has brought your way. I don't know what twists and turns the journey of life has in store for any of us. But what I do know is that there is no fairness in the brokenness of sin. I'm comforted to know that my current hardships are not present because God is lashing out at me over my failings. I'm also comforted to know that while God is not rejoicing in the opportunity to use my hardships for his glory, that he is able to do so. The brokenness of the world teaches each and every one of us 
It touches each and every one of us, and it is so reassuring to know that our God redeems brokenness. The journey is not an easy one, but we do not make it alone. We could not. How thankful I am for a God that walks beside us as we live the gospel. How thankful I am for a God that is not an ambulance chaser, but is with us in the wreck, holding us, comforting us, giving us strength, and weeping with us. How thankful I am for a God that sent the light of Christ into this world of darkness, that the blind, that I might see. This is our God. This is our hope. And he has sent us to proclaim this hope to a world that needs something real to hope in. Let us go forth, church, and tell the story of Jesus. What a fantastic, loving, merciful, and gracious God we serve. Amen.